Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when, they, when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan. And went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, that's a long time, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxious looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which, he had, been, which had been made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning for the joy of being at home, and I thank you for the privilege and opportunity that we have to worship together in this house of prayer. This morning I would ask again that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And that you would anoint this congregation that in hearing the word they might receive it as seed sown into the fertile soil of their hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name and the church said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. I want to speak as uh, in honor of Mother's Day on the subject, the treasure of Mary's heart. And this morning as we... Uh, celebrate the mothers uh, in this church and in our lives, I think there are a few principles that we can draw from this text, uh, not only for those who are moms and those who would like to be moms, but all of us in general can learn a great deal uh, from Mary. And this morning I hope that you will take this, uh, these next few minutes to uh, take in this word and these principles from the word of God. We do not worship Mary. And this is an important fact for us to be aware of because uh, there are some who teach uh, Mary worship and we do not practice the worship of Mary as we have uh, read this morning and sung this morning that God alone is worthy to be worshipped. And Mary is a central figure in the Bible. She is the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. She bears as, uh, as his mother and as the mother of the physical body of Jesus, she bears a great place in the body of Christ, and we ought to honor her and reverence her uh, for the woman that she was and uh, for the life that she lived. But we do not pray to her because she cannot answer our prayers. Jesus alone can give us an answer to prayer before God the Father because his blood alone was shed for our sins. And so this morning as we look to Mary, we look to her as a 
figure of great honor in which uh, uh, the Bible calls her blessed among women. And she lived a life that was exemplary, a life that was uh, one of a woman who was given an incredible task and an incredible responsibility of being the mother of the Messiah, of the Son of God. And so if you can put yourself in her place, I think you will understand the burden of her responsibility and the great, the great burden of being responsible for rearing and raising the man who would save the world. And this was no small task. Just as those of you who are mothers uh, in this room this morning and those of you who are fathers as well have a great responsibility toward your children. God has given you children, and those children are an inheritance from the Lord. But they are also an, a, a responsibility that God has given to each one. So I just want to give you five things about Mary this morning that need to be true in every one of our lives. And I, will, I know you're probably hearing five points. Pastor, that's a sermon that could go well after 1230, and I've got lunch plans with my mama today. Well, I, I'm not keeping you any longer than usual, but I do want to share these five basic principles from the life of Mary. Are you ready? Say amen. First of all, we know that Mary was favored by God. And this is a true, we read it in the, in the book of Luke. The Bible said that when the angel came to her, the angel said to her, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored. He said, you are favored among women. There is something unique about you, something special that God has noticed, God has seen, and God has chosen you to be the mother of the Messiah. We note that Mary had upon her life the signature of the favor of God. Now I must tell you this morning that there is a powerful force called the favor of God, which is able to change circumstances in your life. Did you know that the favor of God can open doors that have been welded shut? Somebody say amen. The favor of God can bring money to your hands that you didn't even know was, was available. Somebody say amen to that. The favor of God will cause the things that you need, the resources that you need in order to fulfill God's purpose for your life. The favor of God will bring that into your life. And because you and I this morning are in Christ, then the favor of God that rests upon Jesus rests upon us this morning. We are the favored household of God. What does it mean to be favored? It means that God has given us his blessing. God has put his, his signature upon our lives. And his blessing has made it possible to, for us to walk in the full um, uh, resource of God for our life, for our purpose in this world. The Bible tells us about another young lady named Ruth. She was a Moabite. She was not a Jewish woman. She had no place in the covenant of Israel. She had no place in the household of God. And she was not under the blessing of God as a result. She was brought into the family of God by strange and unusual circumstances. The Bible tells us that she followed her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, after both of them had been widowed. She followed her to Bethlehem, and she came to, to Bethlehem, the place called the house of bread. She came to a place that was a Jewish community and she adopted the faith of her mother-in-law Naomi. She adopted the faith of Yahweh. She rejected her, her pagan gods. She rejected her pagan rituals and she, the Bible says she came under the covering of the almighty wings of the Lord. 
One day, because they were very poor, Ruth had to go out to the wheat fields or the barley fields to glean. And gleaning was a process whereby when someone was uh, uh, harvesting a field, if a stock of grain fell to the ground, the gleaner, that was the poor, had the right to go and pick up whatever scraps were left behind. And so Ruth, no doubt, having need to make just a little bit of bread to get through, the next couple of days, she's out there gleaning, and she's picking up one stop of, stock of grain or another that she's finding on the field, hoping that she can make enough to get home and uh, make some tortillas for dinner. And, uh, and when she's out there, the Bible said that the owner of the field, you guys are acting like you don't eat tortillas. Come on now. Uh, she saw, the owner of the field saw her gleaning, and when he saw her, he had favor on her. And he went to, his, uh, to one of his workers, one of his servants, and he said, hey, come here, man. And he said, you see that girl over there? He said, yeah. He said, uh, well, I kind of like her. And he said, okay. He said, well, what I want you to do is I want you, as you see her walking behind you, picking up the scraps, I want you to leave handfuls of barley on purpose. And then when you go down a little bit further, I want you to leave another handful on purpose. And then you go a little further, and I want you to glean another handful on purpose. So, ladies, if you ever find handfuls of barley in a sort more or less straight line, you might be walking toward your destiny, okay? You just never know. And uh, so she starts walking there trying to pick up the scraps. And while she's picking up the scraps, all of a sudden she looks down and sees a handful of favor on the ground. She picked that up, put it in her basket, walked a little more, found another handful, picked that up, put it in her basket. Before she knew it, she, she had a basket that was overflowing with the favor of God in her life. Can I tell you, church, that you and I were like Ruth. We were going through life just picking up the scraps, just making it by, just trying to get through. But one day Jesus left handfuls of purpose in your life. He left handfuls of blessing. Come on, somebody. He blessed you without measure. Come on, if you have been blessed by the best, give God some praise in the house of God. One day you didn't even know that it was available and there was the blessing of God. You have the favor of God. And so, mamas, when you are going through life and you're raising those children and you come up against a difficulty or circumstance, I want to remind you this morning that the favor of God rests upon your life. Did you hear me? I said the favor of God rests upon your life. You say, yes, pastor, but I'm a single mother. Guess what? The favor of God rests upon your life, and God will open doors where there are no doors to see to it that you have the thing that you need to accomplish his purpose in the world. Say this with me this morning. I am blessed. And highly favored. Now, do you believe that? You, you've got to walk in that every day to know I am blessed and highly favored. I'm going to apply for this job, and I'm going to get the job because I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm going to apply for that loan, and I'm going to get the loan because I am blessed and highly favored. I'm going to apply to that school, and I'm going to get that school and that scholarship because I am blessed and highly favored. God likes me, God loves me, and God has blessed me. Come on, somebody give God praise in his house this morning. Now, we, we see something else about Mary. Mary was a woman of faith. Any women of faith in here? Uh, I'm going to give you one more chance. I know I caught you by surprise. Any women of faith in the house of God? She was a woman of faith. 
an angel came to her one day and told her the impossible. You are going to be the mother of the Messiah. She said, how can this be, seeing as I know not a man? I'm a virgin. There's no way I could have a child. He said, Mary, there's nothing too hard for God. And then Mary responded, and she made this statement of faith. This is amazing to me because generally when, when God said something to men in the Bible, they argued with him. But when God spoke to Mary, he said, be it done unto me. Uh, she said, be it done unto me according to thy word. No argument. No challenge. She said, if God said he would do it, I believe him. That's ultimately what she's saying. And this morning I believe that there are some women of faith in here who just have that kind of faith to say, God, if you said me and my house would be saved, then I believe you. If you said that my house and my needs would be provided for, then I believe you. If you said that you were going to give me a good husband with a, with a good set of children and a good house and we're going to have a good car, then I believe you. If you said you're going to heal me, I believe you. If you said you're going to give me peace in the middle of a storm, I believe you. And you can, you can look at the circumstances and they may be completely opposed to what God said. But faith tells you that when God has spoken, that's the end of the matter. If God said it, God will do it, and God will fulfill his word. Mary had a life of faith. She was a woman of faith. Now, where do you and I get this faith like Mary? You know, when you read Luke chapter 2, it's fascinating. If you've ever done this study or haven't, you should do so. You go through and read how many times Mary, on the spot, quotes the Old Testament. She was probably no more than 16 years old. And yet in chapter 2 of the book of Luke, when she speaks off the cuff, on the spot, she quotes at least 10 verses out of the Old Testament. You know what that tells me? That tells me that she was a woman of the word. And when you have the word in you, faith follows the word. Because the Bible said that faith is, uh, or pardon, that, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when you put the word of God in your life, faith will follow the word of God. If you ever find yourself without faith, what you need is the word. Because the word of God builds up your faith. When you get into trouble, don't get around a bunch of negative people who tell you how sorry your situation is, how impossible your situation is, who tell you, you know, my grandma died of that and my auntie died of that. Don't get around those people. You get around some people that know what God has said. You open up this book and let God's word fill your life. And when, it, when you fill your heart and your mind with the word of God, the word of God produces faith. That's why you've got to be in church every Sunday because the word of God produces faith faith. The word of God enhances your spiritual life and it causes you to have the faith that says be it done unto me according to thy word. I believe this morning some of you are facing some challenges. You're facing some difficulties. I want to tell you there is nothing too hard for God. Get your faith up. Get your hopes up. God is on your side and if God be for you then who can be against you? Come on somebody. I'm talking about a God who knows no limits. He is a God who knows no, who no boundaries. He is a God who has never had a setback. He is able to save by many or by few. What does that mean? That means that God does not need your whole family to believe. He just needs you to believe. And if you will believe, he will do the impossible in your life. Come on, somebody. Give God praise for his power and his might 
on behalf of those who believe. All he needs is one. Are you the one? You're waiting for your whole family reunion to get saved, baptized in water, filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't worry about that. You get saved. You start praying. God will answer prayer. God will do it. Say that with me. God will do it. Again, God will do it. I don't care what the impossibility is. God will do it. And I believe God. Is there anybody in here that believes God this morning? God can turn it around. Some of you are standing right now in a better place than you were at the beginning of the year. Can I hear an amen? And it's only May. What does God have in store for you this year? God will do it if you believe. Number three, we see that Mary was a steward of God's gifts. Mary practiced stewardship. Now, that word is not very well known in the English vocabulary here in America, but basically a steward is a manager. And I want to be very clear about this this morning. Every one of us is a steward of the resources of God in our life. If you have life, you have to be a steward of it. You must be a manager of your time. You must be a manager of your money. You must be a manager of your gifts. You must be a manager of every resource that God brings into your life. Because someday the boss is coming back. And when the boss comes back, he's going to ask for an accountability of all the things that you and I have done with the resources he gave us to manage. And so when we have to give an account for our stewardship, I wonder whether we will, be have, we will be found faithful or whether we will have been found wasteful in regard to the thing that God gave us to steward. And this morning I want to just say that Mary was a steward in particular of the precious gift of God in her life. She had to be the steward of the life of Jesus. Now think about that. For his, for his childhood, she had to teach him the ways of of the world. She had to teach him the ways of the faith. She had to instruct him as a child how to live for God. And so she became a steward of the gifts of God. And I have no doubt that Mary understood this boy is special. This boy is different. This boy has a gift, a calling on his life, just like most of the mothers and fathers in this room. When you think about your children, you realize that you are the steward of what God has entrusted into their life. Someday, those children are going to walk out of that house, and they're going to have to go and live life on their own. Someday, you're going to shoot them like an arrow out of the bow, and that arrow needs to be straight so that it can fly to the purpose of God. And when you make up in your mind, I'm a manager, I'm a steward of the, of the life and the gifts that are in this child, you realize the awesome responsibility that it is. And so uh, let me just speak to the children real quick this morning. If your parents won't let up on you, don't wait for them to let up on you because you are their responsibility. You are, they are, they, they are your steward. They are your manager. You say, yeah, well, I feel like I'm being managed. Well, guess what? They are your manager, and they're not going to let up on you because God has given you to them as an administration. And someday you will have to give an answer to God for the life that you have lived. And they will give an answer to God for the way that they stewarded the gifts that were in your life. So uh, parents, be very 
very careful how you speak to your children. Be careful that you, that you nurture in them the gifts of God. That you nurture in them the ministry that God has put into their life. That you speak life into them. That you bring discipline into their life. That you bring correction into their life. Because if you don't, you are mismanaging the gifts that God has put in them. But if you do, you are preparing them for the day when they will walk out onto the stage of divine purpose and fulfill the calling of God upon their life. And they will turn the world upside down. And they will do things greater than the things that you were able to do because of your administration and stewardship of them. Here we have this scene. The Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem. And when they were in Jerusalem, the feast days had come to an end. They all got into a big caravan and started going home. Only problem was that a day later, they realized that Jesus was not in the caravan. Now, you might say these were bad parents, right? They left their 12-year-old in Jerusalem for 24 hours, and it took them three days to find him. How many of you would have lost your mind if your child was missing for three days? Just one of you. Come on, mamas, be, be honest now. You lost your child once in the grocery store, and you about lost your, your mind. You're telling me three days, three days, they didn't know where Jesus was. And you really can't understand the conversation unless you understand the Jewish custom. At that time, today it's 13, but at that time, at the age of 12, a boy was bar mitzvahed. That meant he became a man. And when he became a man, he was now able to speak in the synagogue with the other men. And that meant that he was able to ask questions and give answers and express opinions. And so Jesus is no doubt has been bar, bar mitzvahed, and he is now a son of the law. And he is now a full-blown participant in the Jewish synagogue and in the Jewish temple. When they finally find Jesus, there he is fulfilling his purpose. What was he doing? I have no doubt that he was doing what Mary had cultivated in him for the last 12 years. Because if Mary was a woman who could quote 10 verses of the Bible on the spot out of the Old Testament, then I have no doubt that every day of Jesus' life, she was pouring into him a hunger and a thirst for the word of God. And the first time that he got a chance to open his mouth and to ask some questions, that boy had a hunger that could not be satisfied in the presence of the word of God. What am I telling you? She had been a steward of the gift of God in her life. That's the only reason you can understand this conversation because she says to him, Jesus, why did you treat us this way? Now the text says, she said to him, son, why did you treat us this way? But I imagine if it had been some of these mamas who are in the room today, she might have said, son, why did you do this? Your daddy and I have been looking all over the world for you. And he responded to her and said, why are you looking for me? I'm a man now. Why were you looking for me? Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Let me tell you, 
parents, someday your parents are going to, your children are going to become a man or a woman. Some of them take a long time, don't they? 35 years old, still haven't become a man. Come on, let's get, let's get moving. Let's get moving. Let's put those video games away. Let's put your old buddies away. Let's get a job. Come on, man. You're 35 years old now. You're 30 years. You're 26 years old now. Let's go. It's about time to grow up. Jesus was 12 years old, and he was already standing in the full rights of his manhood. And the day's going to come when your, your child has to go out into the world and do the thing God called them to do. And the time that you had before that moment... It's all the time you'll have had to write in the wet cement of their heart. Because someday that wet cement will harden. Some of you are trying right now to write in concrete that's hardened. You've got to take advantage of that child when the cement is wet. So that you can form them and shape them into the image that God wants them to be. And when you've done that, when that cement hardens, it will be that way forever. It takes the hand of God to write on, on hard cement. But aren't you glad he still does? Come on, just let me be glad for a moment that he still does. Because some of you came to Jesus long after the cement was dry. Long after it was hardened. And Jesus broke that heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh. Give God praise for his grace and his mercy. Another scene, now Jesus is 30 years old. They're at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And they, went, they ran out of wine. Now you say wine. Well, in, in Jewish custom, wine was like what you and I would have is carne guisada. You got to have the basics. Right? You have, a, you have a taco party and you run out of tortillas. That's a problem. They had a wedding. They ran out of wine. This was a problem. Mary knew what was in Jesus. Think about that. How many of you know what's in your child? Let me see your hands. You know what's in that child. And when you see it in them, something stirs in you to get it out. To get them in the right school. To get them in front of the right teachers. To get them in front, to exposed to the right things. Mary understood there's something in this man, in this boy, that we need right now. And she came to him and she said, she said to him, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And Jesus said, what's that to me? This is not my problem. This is not my party. But Mary didn't get discouraged by that. She knew there was something in him that needed to be drawn out. And she turned to the waiters there and she said, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Obey him. And basically what she did was by faith, she put a claim on the gifts of God in Jesus' life. And Jesus performed his first miracle at Cana of Galilee because his mother acted in faith. I'm telling you right now, I'm talking to you parents who you know there are some gifts in that child. That if, if God would just get his hands on that child, that child would turn the world upside down. Any mamas in here that can say amen? Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that God will give you the grace to draw out of them like a deep well. To draw those gifts out of their life. To put them in the right place so that they can fulfill the purpose of God for their generation. Now, here's the trick. 
Mary didn't tell him what to do. Say amen. All Mary did was put this situation into his hands. And she said, all right, God, I believe that you can use this moment to work a miracle and to bring Jesus into public visibility because I've seen the gifts in him, but I want the world to see the gifts in him. And, and, and I want to speak just to the sons and daughters this, this morning. That's why your Christian parents can't let up on you because there are gifts in your life that we will not give to hell. There are gifts in your life that we will not give to the devil. We will see you worshiping in church before we see you worshiping in a nightclub. Come on, somebody. We will stand in the gap. We will fight for you. We will defend what God has put in your life because you are the gift of God. Come on, church. It's, it's a time for us to say enough is enough. We're not losing our kids. We're not losing our teenagers. We're going to stand up and see God fulfill his purpose in our generation. Fourth thing we see is that Mary was a member of the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And Mary was a part of the body of Christ. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, he said seven things. And those of you who are really paying attention, when I taught the series last month on uh, famous last words, I gave you only six of the seven. But I like to finish what I start. So here's number seven. All right, Jesus looked down from the cross and he said to Mary, Mary, he said, woman, behold your son. And he said, son. Behold your mother. I want you to notice this real quick. Mary and John were the ones there. Mary had other children. But Jesus didn't entrust her to the other children. He entrusted her to John. Why John? You see, from the cross, Jesus was letting us know that we were now a family, whether or not we had blood ties. That the family that he had, that this, this kingdom which he had inaugurated was a family. And that we were going to be his body. And so he says to Mary, Mary, John is your son now. And he says to John, John, Mary is your mother now. Because you have a tie, you have a connection that is greater even than your blood. There's some of you today who are closer to your church family than you are to the family you have at home or, or in your extended family. For no other reason except that something has tied you to your church family. The blood of Jesus has bound you to your church family. It's made you a part of the household of God. And what a privilege it is for us to be able to be the body of Christ. I don't know if you realize this this morning, but we need one another. I need you. You need me. I'm going to ask you, I, shouldn't ask, I should never ask a question I don't know the answer to, but I'm going to ask you a question. Did you miss me while I was gone? Yeah. All right, all right, good. That's what I was hoping for. Well, I miss you too. Why? Because I need you. I need you and you need me. Tell your neighbor, I need you. Tell the other neighbor, I need you too. We need each other. We're a family. And when one of us weeps, we all weep. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. 
When one of us achieves something, we all achieved it. When one of us fails, we've all failed. Come on, somebody. We're a family. We are a part one of another. One day the disciples said to Jesus, they said, Lord, we've given it all up for you. What are we going to get in return? And Jesus said, no one who gives up houses and lands and mothers and fathers and sons and wives will not receive a hundred times as many more in this life and in the life to come. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, look, if you follow me, I'm going to give you a hundred mamas if you need them. I'm going to give you a hundred fathers if you need them. I'll give you a hundred brothers and a hundred sisters. Look at us right now. We're sitting in a big family of God. He has provided us with the family that we needed. All along my, my, my life as a missionary and an evangelist for eight years, I traveled all over the United States, all over the world. And every place I went, God provided me with a family. That's why when I arrived in Africa this past week, I arrived there and I was instantly at home. We don't eat the same kinds of food. We don't speak the same language. We don't even worship quite the same. But we have one thing in common. It is the name above every name, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has bound us, has made us a family. And so I have my brothers and my sisters and you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. And together, when we come together, we realize there is a, a joy in this family. And you know the thing about family? Sometimes we get upset at each other, don't we? Well, you are so pious this morning. Sometimes we have fights. Sometimes we have disagreements. Sometimes there are moments where we have to be reconciled. Sometimes things get said that are offensive and hurt somebody, and we have to go and make it right. That's and you say, well, this shouldn't happen. It's church. Don't worry about it. It's family. And because it's a family, these things happen. And because they happen, it lets us know that we have a bond that can be, that can be reconciled. There's a bond that can be healed. And friend, when you and I discover that truth, it is a valuable and wonderful asset to know that I'm never alone. I have a Christian brother. I have a Christian sister. I have somebody's shoulder to cry on. I have someone with whom I can make amends and re reconcile my differences. And even if I've never met you, the name of Jesus makes us brothers. The name of Jesus makes us family. And that's enough for me. Finally, as I close, Mary was a spirit-filled woman. Now the Bible tells us Jesus in Acts chapter 1 ascended into heaven. He went and he sat at the right hand of God. And the Bible tells us that the rest of the disciples and the apostles went to the upper room to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit as Jesus had commanded them. He said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until you receive the promise. And so the Bible gives us a list of the people who were present and who were waiting on the, on the promise of the Holy Spirit and guess who's in the list? Mary, the mother of Jesus. When you read Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you discover that Mary was present there waiting for the promise to come. And so in the book of Acts, when the Bible tells us the miraculous and glorious birth of the church. The Bible said that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that those who were, who were waiting, who were anxiously awaiting in prayer, were of one accord. They were united. 
And as they were waiting in unity, the Holy Spirit came upon them with great power, and tongues of fire fell upon their heads. They each began speaking in another tongue, in a foreign language. And Mary was one of those people. Mary was baptized in the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. She was given the great gift that you and I have today of being a spirit-empowered, spirit-filled believer. And let me tell you, friends, if Mary needed the Holy Spirit, then I know I need the Holy Spirit. If Mary needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, you and I are no different. And I'll just tell you this, mamas, you need the Holy Ghost. You need the Spirit of God more than any other thing you need in the world today. You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. When you and I look at the world we're in, the times we're in, there is such a, a deterioration of the values of the family, such a deterioration of man's reliance upon God and upon the Word. There is a, a, a shattering of the very basic principles that once held us together as a Christian nation. And today, if there's ever been a day when the church needed to be filled and led by the Spirit, it's today. If there was ever a time when you needed to make decisions, not based on how you felt about it or your experiences in the past, not based on the things that you have learned in college or at the university, but you've got to make decisions based on the leadership of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into the truth. The Holy Spirit will give you the answer that you're seeking. And I know every parent in here has had this moment. I'm not a parent, but I am a pastor, and I've been in the exact same place where you have a problem that has come to your life. It's come on your lap. It's in your hands, and you don't know what to do. And all you can do is go to God and say, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to teach me how to handle this. What do I say? How do I say it? And sometimes you've got to let the Holy Spirit lead. Because when you and I lead, we get into trouble sometimes. It's, it's awfully quiet out there right now. How many of you ever messed up because you let your, your heart lead you or, or your mind instead of the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, when you give him that invitation to come, you say, Holy Spirit, lead me. I need you to show me. How do I handle this situation? What do I do here? He will come. And he will impart wisdom to you. He'll help you turn a crisis into an opportunity. He'll help you turn a, a major setback into a step forward. You need the Holy Ghost this morning. You need to be led by him because only he knows all the things you need to know. You know, he knows where your kids were when you didn't. He knows what they're thinking. You know a little bit of what they're thinking, but he knows all that they're thinking. He knows what they're doing on their cell phones at 2 o'clock in the morning. He knows the friends that they're talking to. And you need the Holy Spirit to be your guide. And young men, young ladies, I'll just tell you, you might as well give up sinning if you have a spirit-filled mama. 
You might as well quit it. Quit sinning because God's going to tell that woman what she needs to know. He's going to tell your father what he needs to know. And parents, when you're led by the Spirit of God, it's not magic. It's not even perfection. It's power. Power. I said it's power. Some of you aren't moms, you aren't dads. Wherever you are, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need that empowering grace of God to lead you, to point you in the right direction. And this morning, if you will invite the Holy Spirit into your life, He'll give you the answers that you need. doesn't matter the, the situation you're in or the crisis you're facing or the difficulty where you need wisdom. The Holy Spirit is your guide. The Bible calls Him the helper. And He will lead you if you'll let Him. And I want you... To make up your mind this week, I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Take time to pray this week. Take time to get in the Word. Take time to allow God to lead you before you make any major decision. Before you buy that house. Before you take that job. Before you go to that college versus the other. Get the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let Him show you the way. I want to close with this example, this story. When I was a senior in high school, I made up my mind that I was going to Southern Methodist University. And I wanted to go there because I wanted to go to a school in Texas so I would avoid out-of-state tuition. And I wanted to go to a school with some prestige. And this uh, fit the bill for me. I also needed to go to a place where I could study the Bible. And so I was going to the Southern Methodist University. My parents uh, were not, didn't know who SMU was. They didn't know anything about it. But they did not agree with me that this was where the Holy Spirit wanted me to go. And they never told me. They never said, Isaac, we don't want you to go to that school. I just could tell that their spirit and mine were not on the same page. And finally, I did what I should have done at the beginning. I decided to pray about it. Ever done that? And I said, Lord, I don't know. I, I want to go to this school. I already have my financial package. I already have my roommate. I already spoke to my roommate. But I don't know why my parents don't think I should go there. And I want to be led by your spirit. So if you don't want me to go to this school, then tomorrow morning when I wake up, let it be out of my heart. The next morning I woke up and I didn't have a, a desire at all to go to that school. That day I went to, uh, went to high school, there was a college fair going on, and I was introduced to the school that I ended up graduating from, Dallas Baptist University. That school became God's gift in my life. It was the place where my leadership uh, calling was developed. It's a place where I learned to love the Word of God and learned to teach and preach the Word of God. That First semester at DBU, small little school that no one ever heard of before, and I had certainly never heard of before. While I was sitting there one day at lunch, they said, hey, did you hear about what happened at SMU this morning in chapel? I said, no. He said, they had a chapel this morning called Lazarus Come Forth. And the entire chapel service, it's a worship service, was dedicated to having homosexuals come out of the closet. And that morning, I realized that if I had gone to the place where the Spirit of God 
would not have had me go. That I would have been trained in a place that denied the full authority of the word of God on all matters of life. And I realized then that God had spared me and had taken me to a place where I could be taught the authority of the scripture, the inerrancy and the infallibility of the word of God, the full inspiration of the text of scripture. Because we would be living in days in the 21st century that would require preachers to stand on the Bible as the final authority for truth in our day. God knows what he does and we need the spirit of God. Can you give God some thanks in his house this morning? Would you stand with me, please? Just bow your heads where you are. Father, we thank you because you have given to us the precious treasure of favor. You have given to us the precious gifts of your divine blessing. Upon our life rests the grace of knowing that the gifts that we have belong to you and will fulfill your purpose. I pray today that the word would inspire faith in someone's heart. And I pray that the moms who are in this room this morning would have a sense of your presence over their life. That although they face challenges in the raising of their children, and although they face challenges even in how to be a good mother in the life of their adult children, I pray you would give them the precious gift of wisdom and insight through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We ask that in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask all the moms who are here this morning, would you come to this altar? I want to pray a special blessing over you. Mamas, would you come, please? And as they come, just begin to pray, congregation. Let's ask God's blessing upon their life. I see right here up front a mama who's going to be expecting mother. Some of you are on the other end of the spectrum. You've already raised your children. They're adults now. Whatever you are on that spectrum, I want you to know that God is with you. And I want you to know that we thank you. We thank you for being faithful to the administration and the stewardship of your children. This church is blessed because of you. It's blessed because of the wisdom that God has given you. And today I just want you to put yourself in a place where you can receive from God. Would you just raise your hands and invite the Holy Spirit to come and empower you and give you grace today, give you wisdom you all look so beautiful today, and you do every day. Today, there's a glow upon your face. God says, I have favored you. I've never left you. I never will. I know what you need, even before you ask. And I'm going to be your guide. My strength is enough for you. I will give you faith. I will give you courage. Just where y'all, just lift your voice and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to your life, to your situation. Thank you, Jesus. Almighty God, we pray for a visitation of the Holy Spirit this morning.
We need the Holy Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we get into trouble when we trust in ourselves. But today we say, God, we want to be like Mary who was filled with the power of the Spirit. Whose life was marked by the leadership of the Almighty God in His Word. I pray your blessing upon these women this morning. I pray that you would meet them in the place of their need. I pray for stability in unstable times. I pray for mending of broken hearts. I pray where there has been criticism, where there have been words that have wounded them, I pray that you would bring healing, that you would bring healing to that heart. Where there is a, a sense of failure, when they feel like they have not done well, I pray, God, that you would cause them to know that you are the restorer. That you are able to make all things abound on their behalf. Hallelujah.